Good morning. Probably a good place to start each day just to recognize where we may be and where we need to, to go. And today as we look at this passage of Scripture before we go into Advent this next week, uh, I want you to, to not listen to half of it and then tune out, which uh, it, it's possible. And just realize that the answer to some of the questions that we're going to kind of delve into today may be new for some of you, and some of you, it may just be a really good review. Paul said, it's good that I remind you of these things. It's for encouragement, but not only for us to have it for ourselves, but whenever we come to church or a Bible study or whatever, we don't just go there for us. We go to glorify Him, but we also go for others. And we don't know the conversations we're going to have this next week by God's uh, His sovereignty. This last week in junior high youth group, we had great conversations about uh, some, some things. And one of the things that I was reminded of is the fact that um, at one point in time, we had a visitor come in, and, and those, the, the visitor who was there was uh, from a different denomination and had, been, had grown up in a place where a church where they didn't do a lot of Bible study. And so looking up references and turning to this place or that place, it was really pretty difficult for this person. But uh, gracious group, we have gracious groups. And, and uh, as we were going through, the discussion kind of led to a question of like this. So how much sin is too much sin? that God would not forgive me? And that question is a very good question to kind of ponder because at some point in time in our lives, we have places where we feel strong in our faith and then we feel maybe not as strong in our faith. And uh, we recognize that sometimes we have a road to Damascus type of experience where we may be thinking that we're listening to God and hearing Him and doing His will, but all of a sudden we realize that our heart is either hardened or we're not yielded to the Holy Spirit. And we're kind of off doing our own thing. And that was the case with Saul as he really had to do a heart check as he uh, recognized that he was doing things he thought God would want him to do, but he really wasn't listening to the Spirit. I get to skip some things just because that's just my privilege. <laughs> so that's how it is. You're going to have to put up with it. Our passage today is out of Matthew 12, and it is a passage that is uh, really at the heart of the question of, is there a place where I can get where I can't be forgiven by God? Is there a sin in your past that you're just like, you know, I wonder about that one sometimes. How, how could God forgive me? When we pick it up in Matthew 12, it says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was uh, blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only, only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can this kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
is Jesus continues. He, he brings, up, uh, brings up an argument. And they had challenged Jesus before, and they, they should have learned their lesson. Because whenever you get into an argument with Jesus, you're going to lose. And usually he, he does it in a way of actually asking a question back. So someone, the Pharisees would ask him a question, and the answer should be a yes or no. But he doesn't give them a yes or no. Just watch as you read through Scripture, uh, the Gospels. He, he, he gives them an answer by asking them a question that they already know the answer to. And they already have it in their databanks that the right answer is right inside of them. But if you have a hard heart, that's hard to admit. Or again, how can anyone enter a strongman's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strongman? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So as we look at this passage, especially um, at 31, it says that, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And I want to just kind of focus in on that because it gives us a little picture of not just so much the unforgivable sin, but what's behind the Pharisees when they, when they actually do this thing called the unforgivable sin. And so as we look at this passage, recognize that Jesus, there was an awesome miracle that occurred. This man could, could not see he could not speak, and most times, if that was true, they couldn't hear as well. And he was demon-possessed. And when Jesus healed him, all four, three to four of those things went away. It was an awesome miracle. It wasn't just someone who couldn't see, who, who now can see. This person could not speak, could not see, and was possessed by a demon. So it was a trifecta, and maybe possibly um, the fourth as well. And they did not, the Pharisees did not deny that this man, that, there, that, that he was healed, that there was this unusual thing that had occurred. And why didn't they deny that? They could have just taken the basis of, you know what, this never happened. But why didn't they do that? Because people saw it. Thank you, Bill. Because he was here, he was speaking, and he was seeing, and he was no longer demon-possessed. And so it was so obvious to everyone that there had been a miracle that occurred that the people said, could this be the what? Three words means that he is truly God in the flesh, son of David. And so the people are like, well, we've never seen this before. This guy pulled off this miracle. How could he possibly have this power to do this if he wasn't the son of David, if he wasn't truly uh, God in the flesh? And so as you look at this uh, picture of of Jesus just doing this amazing miracle, we see the naysayers who come up and they say, you know what? You are doing this by an evil power. And so they, they blamed this whole miracle on Beelzebub. And so despite having this person talk and see and, and being free of this demon possession, they ignored that. And what we see in the parallel passage in Mark 3.22 is this. 
And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. And so Matthew and Mark record the same instance. And the important thing is, is this name Beelzebub was a name of, the, of a pagan god and was often used to kind of refer to Satan. So you did that by the power of, of Satan, basically, is what they said. Interestingly enough, Beelzebub has some very kind of uncouth names. Uh, it really means the Lord of the Flies. That was not so bad. The Lord of Dung. That got a little worse. And then it, in another translation, it said the Dung God. And so they were not being nice. They were not only just saying, not only are you the son of David, but we're, we're going to call you about as bad a name as we can come up with. And so they make this crazy accusation. And Jesus gives them this undeniable answer because uh, they were asking for it. And as we look at the Gospels and see that Jesus is always coming back at them and, and saying, you know, like, well, the first of you who hasn't sinned, do what? Throw the stone, right? And so what are they going to say? They're going to say nothing and they're going to go away because they know he already knows their last sin. And he knows their worst sin. And if they don't skedaddle, it might become public record, okay? So they recognize that his power is there, but here they challenge him because it's such an amazing miracle. People are turning to him, and as they're turning to him, it's, it's really kind of a, uh, for them, it's kind of an issue of who's in power here, and are we going to lose our position, what it is? Jesus presents the illogical accusation that they make. So they make an illogical accusation. He just points out the fact that it's not logical of what they said, he said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So Jesus says, you call me Beelzebub, which is basically someone who is a Satan person, who is maybe a, a demon. And so why would Satan cast out one of his own? Doesn't make sense, does it? Jesus said, the fact that you, you, you actually attributed this to Satan doesn't make any sense at all. He would never cast himself out. He would join the party. And I cast, and I cast out demons by Beelzebub. By whom do, you, uh, do your sons cast them out? Jesus is referring here to, uh, to Jews who also practiced sorcery at the time. The, the, the Pharisees would be completely aware of this. And they would do these amazing things, these miracles, but they would do them by the power of Satan. And so Jesus is basically saying, you don't even, you don't even accuse your own people who are doing things by the power of Satan. You don't even accuse them, and yet you're accusing me. And I'm not even doing it by that power and so again, we see this whole perspective that they have this inconsistency in their blame and what they're saying to him. And then lastly, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first uh, binds the strong man? And so what he's saying here is, is if, if he is stronger than Satan and he gets his power from Satan, how do you reconcile those two things? If Jesus is actually stronger, is stronger than Satan, and Satan is the one who's given him his power, does that really make any sense? And that's impossible. And Jesus' threefold explanation basically is the explanation that by some of the power I've done this, and he says it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we look at this, we have this awesome miracle. We have this explanation for, by Jesus, and we have these hard-hearted Pharisees. And the question in our own hearts is this. 
Do we listen to the Holy Spirit's promptings? Do we see things around us? Let me just ask you, if you in your lifetime have ever seen a miracle, I just want you to raise your hand if you've ever, if you've ever witnessed a miracle. Okay? Have you ever thought to yourself, wow, wow. last week we saw um, evidence of a miracle. Remember what happened last week at the end of service? What happened? We had a baptism. Now, baptism isn't what saves you, but what happened beforehand, before we're baptized, when, when we come to know Jesus and when we, when we receive him as our Lord and Savior and we follow him and choose to, be, uh, him, to serve him, is, is amazing. It's an amazing thing. It is a miracle. It is an absolutely miracle. You may not have seen a miracle in your life. You may be a miracle. If you know the Lord, there is no one who would come to God on his own. Only by what? By the Holy Spirit. And so we recognize that we sometimes attribute to our, sometimes even in a testimony, some people will say, well, I did this and I did this. And then I, you know, and you're like, boy, God did this. And God did that, and he wooed you, and he drew you, and he, he brought you to him, and he attracted you so much that you find it almost irresistible. Jesus became irresistible to you. You are a miracle. You are a bigger miracle than if someone would have taken your heart, a surgeon, take your heart out, put it on your chest, fix a bunch of things, and put it back in. Because you not just had your heart worked on, you had a heart transplant. You literally took, he took the whole old heart and called it a heart of stone. You can call it whatever it is, the heart of self. And you had a new heart put in you. If you belong to Jesus, if you have received him. And so a lot of times we see miracles much like this, this person's life is totally changed. They can see, you can spiritually see if you're a Christian. They can speak you speak his words. You worship him this morning. You recognize that you are a new creation. This guy was a new creation, and everybody's like, that's a miracle. But so am I, and so are you if you're in Christ. And we need to not overlook that. And we see miracles every day. Sometimes we see them. We go, man, that was just, that's amazing. Like, if you look back at your life, and you see the directions you've gone, at least for me, I can go, Wow. You know, the footprints in the sand thing? Like, I was going through this time, and it seems like God just sort of directed me. And you're like, that's a miracle. That's the listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. When someone kind of taps your shoulder, and you're like, huh, and you're listening, and you're hearing that. And sometimes we don't listen. We don't hear those things because we're not tuned in. And this passage is all about us recognizing we don't want to go to the extent of the Pharisees. We want to stay sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and recognize when the Holy Spirit is at work. So, what is blasphemy of the Spirit? And is there an unforgivable sin? Okay. Are we going to vote? No, we're not going to vote. But here's the thing, because we already have a source that tells us this. Is there an unforgivable sin today? Ooh. Why don't you think about it? Is there a sin that you've committed that is unforgivable? Okay, enough silence. 
when we ask that question, we have to ask it in a, in a different way because this was a particular unique situation. Jesus was on earth and the Holy Spirit was acting through him. But we can take the truths that we get out of this and apply it. And that idea that there's blasphemy, and blasphemy is different than blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I can blaspheme Aaron. He's a referee, right? He's a referee. So a lot of people blaspheme Aaron during, the, during, the, during games. You can't get some glasses, all kinds of comments. They blaspheme, right? But that's not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's just blaspheming poor Aaron, who's willing to actually referee those games time after time. Is blasphemy unforgivable? Yes, it is. They can be forgiven, Aaron, and you don't even have to forgive them. First Timothy 1.13 says this. Paul writes this to Timothy. Even though I was once a, what? Blasphemer. Well, he was a blasphemer, but he didn't do the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So there's just a difference there. I just want you to recognize it. Don't just go, go to, yeah, blasphemy. That's the unforgivable sin. Boy, you're in big trouble if you blasphemed. It's more, it's a little more detailed than that. And then, again, editorial uh, I'm just going to skip that one. What is blasphemy against the Spirit? It is attributing to Satan and not giving credit to the Holy Spirit as Jesus works a miracle in the life of this man. It's literally what it is. It is the story that we just read. That is what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is, is to attribute in this situation the power of Satan to have done it rather than admitting, rather than just admitting that is God. And some people are like, God's not there. Nope, it's coincidence. And you're like, oh, it doesn't look like a coincidence to me. But you just kind of just have to just go with it because you realize unless the Holy Spirit opens someone's mind to things that are going around them, they won't see. And so this denial continues and we recognize that a continuous heartfelt rejection of the Holy Spirit will lead to a place where someone is in a really, really difficult position to even hear from God. Have you ever burnt your hands before? Those of you who maybe did construction, Mitch, cement, perfect example. Okay, if you've ever worked cement, he, he said, cement, you can either work cement by getting after it right away, or cement will work you, and your hands will show it. And after a while, if you've done a lot of cement work, you can barely feel things on the end of your fingers. Why? Because they have been so calloused that the sensation has been diminished to the point where you can't feel what you have in your hands. The same thing happens to our hearts as the Holy Spirit prompts us and prompts us again and prompts us again. And we don't listen when we don't listen. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's voice gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, and we can't hear it. And that's a dangerous place for us to be in this, in this scenario of listening to the, the very Holy Spirit that wants to guide us. Have you ever been blind before? Have you ever been lost before? Raise your hand if you've been lost. Okay, now if I had you ask, the, if I had you raise your hands that you, you knew you were lost, and you thought you could find your way, I'm just going to tell you what's going to happen. Men 
will raise their hands more than women. And it is absolutely a statistical truth. It's just the way it is. Well, I thought I knew where I was going, and we'll just go a little further down the road. Typically, now you may be the exception of the rule, before we turn back. Listening to the Holy Spirit, once we know we're going down the wrong road, is essential to our relationship with the Lord. And once we have done something wrong, what we don't want to do is it's like, okay, I blew it. Now I'm just going to really blow it because God hates me anyway. And is that true? No. Do you hate your kids because they spill a cup of milk? You might be a little disappointed, mop it up and pat them on the head and away you go. And God's looking at you like, I just want your eyes to come right back on me and to listen to me because I have all of these good things for you. So as we, as we look at what is unreachable and, and maybe this idea of, of being, having an unforgivable sin, recognize that, oh, that isn't the one. Nope, that's it right there. Romans 1.21 says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. What happens is, is at some point in time when we are not responding to the Holy Spirit, that searing happens and the callousing happens to our heart. And it's very difficult for the Holy Spirit to then communicate to us. And so a lot of people just think this, you know, I'll get serious with God later on when I get older. How many of you are older than you actually can believe in your mind? Like, I cannot believe how old I am. Okay? It happens so fast that, yeah, you just spontaneously have arms up in the air. Boy, we are in the 11th hour because it's just sort of perspective is what it is. And to deny the Holy Spirit as we're young and, quote, middle-aged, whatever that is, and as we get older, oh, dangerous territory. Because God has he has this, this plan for us and promptings that, and if we deny them, if we ignore them, we just lose that communication with them. And at some point in time, that little knock is not loud anymore because we've rejected so many times um, God's promptings to us. God has made the Holy Spirit for us as believers, but he also recognized, Jesus actually said that the world won't understand the Holy Spirit. These Pharisees are acting just as they should act according to what God says. Here's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth the world cannot accept him. Pharisees did not accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. He actually gave him a little preview clip. Like not only is the Holy Spirit just going to be around, but he's actually going to be where? In you. And so if he's in me and in you because I belong to Christ... Boy, when he prompts us, it's so important as believers because he's our ambassador. He is actually our advocate. He's the person who is on our side. And even though the world or those who don't know yet, don't know Christ yet, don't understand that, we certainly do. So, have you ever committed the unpardonable sin? And the answer would be, for you who are here, I don't know. 
Because the only, only unpardonable sin at this point in time, in this day and age, since Jesus is not on the earth, and we can't replay that scenario, is this. A continual rejection of Jesus as Savior and Lord, and a personal relationship that goes with it. That is the only unpardonable sin, because who's going to pay for your sin? And so a lot of times the answer of junior high youth is, we've had several times, but one in particular I'm thinking of, this, this person who has never been in the Bible and has never been around truth before is saying, well, you know, if you ask for forgiveness and then you sin again, well, you can't be forgiven for that. That's what, it, that's what they said. And guess what the other junior hires said, the ones who had been going here for, I don't know how many years up in their Sunday school. They were on it. They were on it. No, no, this is how it works. No, you, you know, you, you're going you, to sin. You're going to ask forgiveness, but you're going to sin again. But you're not going to stop sinning just because you ask for forgiveness one day. And there's a recognition that Jesus has paid for not only my past sins when I receive him, but what? And this is what people have a hard time believing. They're just like, that seems too easy. That's just way too. It's a payment for what? Yeah, Jesus knew what they were thinking. They didn't even bring up the conversation when they said he's doing this. He brought the conversation up. He started to make his own three-point argument. He knew exactly what they're thinking. Does he know what you're going to do tomorrow? Do you know that when you walk out the door here, and by tomorrow at this time, you will have already sinned? True. Anyone object? Can you raise your hand if you think you're going to have a really good day? Okay. You, or or you, now, we get to, now we get to see your, like we talked about, how, how many of you would like to have your thoughts broadcasted on the TV just in the last two hours? And you realize that God's standards are so high and ours aren't. And so the unpardonable sin is to not have Christ in your life. It's to not have received him and to, to follow him and, and to hold on to him like nothing else. You don't want to be callous to your sin because really being callous to your sin is being callous to the Holy Spirit's promptings. And when, when you feel that conviction come on you of sin, you can be thankful. Now, you need to act about it. You need to act on it. But when the conviction of sin comes on you, what does that mean? He's still knocking. And he's still got the volume up. And there's still a chance there. And as an unbeliever, I had the... One of the best things of my church experience before I came to know Jesus was a church that was super good at guilting. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating guilting each other, but when the Holy Spirit guilts you and puts this 100-pound weight that I felt on me, you can't think of anything else other than, man, I, if I die, I know I'm, gonna go, I'm not going to be with God. That is a healthy conviction to have. Not to carry around for the rest of your life, but to have, to recognize that you were not built to carry that load, but Jesus was. And he died on the cross for your sins as he did mine. And so recognizing that tapping on your shoulder is a healthy thing. You just recognize the Holy Spirit's still working on you. Even as a believer, you sin and he taps. Hey, what about your words? You know, first when you're a Christian, it's usually just the cuss words you're worried about. You're trying to get rid of the cussing. Okay, that's mostly what you're worried about because it's the most overt thing. And then after a while, it's not just the cussing. Then it's what? How you say things 
whether it was hurtful or not, and even the things that you don't say, but you wanted to say, right? And then even God starts convicting you for those things. And there's sort of a progression, at least in my life, progression of sort of that tapping and convicting. That's a good thing. That's a refinement into the image of his son and, and just a refinement that we recognize God wants in our lives. If you're on the fence and you may be here this morning, you're like, someone just drug me here by my ear and I came only because they, they wanted me to. I'm glad you're here. God wanted you here if you got drugged here this morning for sure. And here's the question I have for you. You don't know the time when the 11th hour or the 12th hour is coming. And we don't want to wait because the longer we wait, the less the Holy Spirit, will, the voice will come through. And so if you're here this morning and you recognize you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I don't mean you don't go to church. I don't mean anything about anything about uh, religious, going to a Bible study, whatever. I'm not talking about doing those things. I had done all of those things before I knew Jesus. You do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's true, you need to just listen and just recognize that God has you here for a purpose. And you can talk to me afterwards or you can just listen right where you're at. You need a relationship with Jesus. There's nothing more important. You need to have a relationship with him and the Holy Spirit needs to speak into your life and you need to continue to be soft with the heart that he has changed in you. And so as we... As we uh, kind of close out with some applications. I want you to recognize that many people who come to church for the, for the first or second, I mean, first, second, third time that I went to church, I was overwhelmed. I was like, whoa, oh, I don't know what's going on. There's these verses things. I mean, I was really kind of green and new in terms of the Bible and understanding things. But what I do want you to understand today is there's a relationship that God wants to have with you. And if you are a Christian, I want you to evaluate where your heart is. Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? When he prompts you on something, are you listening to it? Not just the don't do this, but do this. So are you, are you open to what he's saying to you? And are you open to what he wants to do through you? So some applications, I'm just going to let you kind of look through those and recognize that, boy, if there's an unforgiven sin, if you have a, a sin that you think is unforgiven, talk to me after service. I don't care if, well, I'm over here or there, whatever. talk to me after service. Because if there's an unforgivable sin, you don't understand grace. And that's a good thing because you can. You can come to understand grace in a brand new way that will free you of that, uh, of that burden that you have. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Can anyone say Amen. Amen. Because all you have to do is confess your sins, and all of a sudden, any sin, does not matter what sin it is, as we come before, uh, before the throne of grace, we have this forgiveness that God has for us. And I was just uh, really, really encouraged this last week as we were Friday morning men's group. T, help, uh, T was leading us through this, and so we read through Matthew 19. And it's about the little children in Jesus. And I thought this is really appropriate. It says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. 
And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Do you know why children, why Jesus says this about children? What is it about children that he says that this, these are the kinds of people who are in the kingdom? What is it about children? It's not their messiness. It's not the fact that they can't remember to make their bed or turn off the lights. What is it? Ah, say it again. Trust. Trust. You, you, you tell your kids something. It's why we have to tell them not to take candy from strangers, isn't it? Or get in their cars. Because they what? They trust so easily. And we, we have hard hearts a lot of times. And when the Holy Spirit prompts us in an area as a believer, we don't always trust that that's the best way to go when we we have this little battle inside of us. We all do. And if you're not a believer, if you don't know Jesus, that trust of a, of a kid is, is the way that you come to Jesus. You don't come by reading scientific manuals and proving that, yeah, this, this is going to happen and this is going to... You will never come to God. It will be the 14th hour by the time you get done with all that. It's a matter of coming to him in trust and really relying on him to fill in the gaps that we don't understand. And it's so refreshing to just recognize that that's what we do. We receive him, we trust. That's it. The only unforgivable sin, I want you to be very clear on this when you, as you leave, is to continually reject Jesus, is to continually reject the Holy Spirit whose job is to, first job of the Holy Spirit, there's about five or six jobs specific to the Holy Spirit. The first job is to convict us of our sin. That's a good thing. And that's what draws us to grace. It makes grace so, so much more uh, attractive. And so don't leave here thinking, oh, I've already committed. You, there's, if you're still breathing, there's time. But it's the 11th hour. And don't reject the Holy Spirit I want you to pray with me. If you're a believer, I want you to pray this in, a, in an act of thankfulness. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5.18 last week, Pastor Try, What? Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God. Well, this one is to give thanks if you're a believer. And if you're not, not a believer, I would challenge you to recognize that you need to come into relationship. And if you said a prayer that had your heart like this, if your heart felt this way, that's the kind of childlike faith that God wants you to, to come to him in. So I'm just going to pray, and as you uh, bow your heads and pray with me, at the end of that, I'm actually going to have you look up at me. No one else looks up. This is a look-down time. I want you to look up if for the first time you have prayed to, to do this. Dear God, I admit I'm a sinner in need of you, Please forgive me of my sins and give me abundant life here on earth and eternal life with you in heaven. I believe Jesus died and rose again for my sins. I confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for saving me. And in Jesus' name, with your bow head still bowed, amen. I want you to look up if you, for the very first time, have prayed that. And Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you that there is no unforgivable sin today that we can commit that is outside of your grace that, that your son can't pay for. Thank you for your, not only the, the hope of Advent, the coming of, of your son and just the celebration of that, 
but also the, the finality of that, that you have already conquered sin and that, that sin, no, there is no sin beyond the bounds of the cross. And we thank you for your word. We ask that you would bless us as we go out through our, our week, that we would recognize the grace we've been given, that we would listen to your spirit when he prompts us, that we would understand that it's for our good. As, even if we've been believers for 70 years, that that voice is the voice that directs us and allows us to, to find green pastures, to, to be able to have a relationship with you in a deeper way. We just pray this week that we would uh, come to know you even in a deeper way as your spirit speaks to us through, his, through your word and also through your people. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.